spent three years hanging out, doing life together, being taught, observing, listening, probably just being normal average. But where Nick left us off last week in this series of the story is Jesus was crucified and buried in a borrowed tomb. And for those who had followed him so closely, it was a weird, uncomfortable, scary place, sobering. They were probably deflated. However, the story is about to get really good. As Nick and Andy and I were kind of texting, laying out the rest of this series, the text came and said, hey, can you preach the resurrection? Oh, baby, I will preach the resurrection. I got the best card in the whole deck. And the, the value of that is if Jesus did not vacate the tomb, he was a liar. That's a big deal. And so let's turn to John chapter 20 this morning electronically with an actual paper Bible. I think those are still available. Um, and let's see what the Word of God has to say for us today. John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. See just a little bit of poke there. The other disciple outran Peter, the slow guy, and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived, went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They saw and they believed. The resurrection was observed. How much would you pay to see that on video? Like if you could YouTube, resurrection of Jesus, but it's like you have to pay kind of a thing. I'm pretty sure if that was available, I would do anything I could to be able to see that. I hope, because I'm weird, in heaven, there's like a video kiosk where you can hit a button and you can watch video of all these things happen. Wouldn't you love to see Jesus in the tomb, taken off the grave clothes, <laughs> big stretch maybe, and then the angels knock down the stone and those Roman guards who were like the Marines of the era, they faint. That would have been actually kind of entertaining, I suppose. But the story continues to unfold. Mary Magdalene, the one whom we are told Jesus delivered from demonic possession, she hangs around. We're not 100% sure why, but she was all focused on Jesus because he had set her free from something we cannot even imagine. So she's hanging around, two angels she sees, and then she turns and sees Jesus, only she doesn't know it's him until he speaks her name. He says, Mary, and she goes, teacher, because she saw the one who had set her free. What would it be like to hear Jesus speak your name? 
to acknowledge that the freedom that we have comes in and through him, would we be timid and quiet? I'm pretty sure most of us would be pretty loud. Jesus, dude, it's good to see you. Now, I don't know if Mary Magdalene said dude, but maybe she did, maybe she didn't, but teacher, she was excited. And then this relationship, she was given a mission. He says, hey, Mary, go back and tell the others that I've risen. Do you suppose her feet didn't even touch the ground on the way back to tell everybody? I mean, she ran an Olympic best for her, and she goes back and she tells them. But then let's fast forward towards the end of that same day. We're back in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 21. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Imagine being in their shoes. You've gone through all this emotional turmoil and upheaval. The Savior that you've followed for three years is murdered on a cross, put in a borrowed tomb, and now the tomb is empty, and later that day, he shows up even though the doors were locked. That is such a cool little miracle that we don't talk about very often. The doors are locked, and Jesus shows up. And then in true Jesus fashion, because they would have been pretty freaked out, he says, peace, peace. Maybe what that really meant to them is take a deep breath. Peace be with you. Those words were so suited to the circumstances because they had no peace. Their Savior had been taken away, but now he is risen from the dead. Peace indeed. Where do you need peace today? Jesus is still speaking that over us in any and every circumstance that we can or ever will face. Jesus is speaking, peace be with you. Now, because the Bible gives us real history with real people, we see a development here in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. Thomas, called Didymus, I think I would have leaned towards Thomas over Didymus, but I, I don't know. It was a nickname, maybe. One of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, dude, we've seen the Lord. Doesn't say dude, that's the Rick translation. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, so the second time, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said again, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, hey, stupid. Does that say that in anybody else's Bible? It doesn't, because it's not there. He said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, put it into my side, stop doubting, and believe. Then Jesus told him, blessed, no, pardon me, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miracles in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded. Thomas missed out on Jesus' first appearing that resurrection day. 
but he's gotten the label Doubting Thomas. Louis Giglio, a few years ago, I heard him teaching on this. He said, wouldn't it be maybe kinder if we just called him Honest Thomas? So imagine everything they'd gone through, Jesus shows up, Thomas isn't there. And they go, you should have been here. Jesus showed up. The door was locked. Jesus showed up and it was awesome. And we got to see his hands and his, and Thomas like, yeah, awesome for all of you. But I ain't believing, I don't know if he said ain't, I ain't believing until I see him. And then we call him Doubting Thomas. How many of us, show of hands, this will be fun, how many of us in the same spot would have said something similar? I'm not in until I see the whole risen Christ. And it was a week later. Do you suppose that was the longest week of Thomas's life? And the rest of the guys, because they're human, were probably going, Thomas, we're not joking with you. Jesus showed up like, eh, I don't trust you guys. Uh, maybe didn't say that, but he was just honest. He wanted to see. And Jesus did not say, hey, doofus, get over here. Why not? Because Jesus never does shame. And we live in a culture and a world of shame. Here's a good gut check for you. Brief free counseling moment. If you're feeling shame, it is never God because shame just keeps you feeling terrible. The nuance there is if you're feeling conviction because it moves you away from sin, that's God. Shame, I'm stuck. Conviction, I'm free. So Jesus says to Thomas, come on over here. And he got to see and he got to touch because Jesus is personal and near And so I hope maybe in the days to come, instead of doubting Thomas, we just call him Honest Thomas. In our world, as we have conversations with people and we share the truth of the gospel, many people are not the first time going to go, you know what, you're right, I'm in. They're going to ask questions. They're going to ask difficult questions. They're going to ask questions that, by the way, have no answers. I would suggest as believers, it needs to be more comfortable for us to say, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. Some questions don't have answers, at least this side of heaven. Honest, Thomas. Verse 29, Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Who is he talking about? Us. We don't get to see Jesus' hands and the wound in his side and the marks in his feet, and yet we still have the privilege of believing. Jesus says, blessed are you who do not see yet believe. However, let me say out loud, our faith is built on very reliable truth. The risen Jesus was seen many, many times by many, many people over a period of many, many weeks. There is more historical evidence for the resurrected Jesus than there is for the existence of Julius Caesar. You might go, prove it, okay? J. Warner Wallace is a former cold case investigator, I believe from L.A. County in California. And a number of years ago, he embarked on a journey to investigate the historical evidence for a resurrected Christ, just like he would any other murder investigation. And would you like to know what he discovered? Is the evidence for a resurrected Christ is unbelievably overwhelming. 
You can go online, buy the book, download the book, whatever you're going to do, Cold Case Christianity. I was told just this morning about 20, 30 minutes ago, he has a new book coming out that is entirely from a view outside of the church. It's all just historical evidence supporting the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. The whole gospel message pivots on this. John 21 is more of Jesus coming to be with those he loved after he conquered death. Set the scene in your mind's eye. I'm a visual learner, so I'm my own crazy. But the boys, Peter, James, John, a few others go, hey, you guys wanna go fishing tonight? Yeah, it sounds good, let's go fishing. If you've been a fisherman, what do you do? You fish. So they go out and they fish all night, and what happens? They get skunked. Apparently because they didn't have Gary Renberger with them. I've fished with Gary Renberger a few times. He is the fish whisperer. Uh, everybody's not catching fish, but Gary's just reeling them in. And if you've ever fished and that's happening, what do you do? You go, hey, uh, what kind of lure are you using? And Gary will go, well, it's a, you know, flux capacitor 5,000. And I will hang one of those on and I'll throw the flux capacitor 5,000 out. And I'm, I'm reeling just like Gary. I'm watching him. I'm catching no fish. So apparently it doesn't matter what flux capacitor you're using, you need to be Gary. These guys needed Gary that night. So they fished all night, they're headed back in, been a long night, and Jesus, in very human fashion, says, hey guys, did you catch anything? Now when you've been fishing and you haven't caught anything, what do you wanna do? Lie, I wanna lie. Yeah, we caught tons of big fish, but we threw them back because we were just fishing, catch and release. But they didn't, they just go, no. And so Jesus says, hey, give it another try. Toss those nets over again, which made no sense. It was daylight. Those guys didn't fish during the daylight, but they do it anyway. And the net is so full, it's like almost going to sink the boat. And the light bulb goes off for Peter. Now, I would like to suggest to you, from my own observation, Peter is a spaz. I'm pretty sure Peter is undiagnosed ADD. And I might be able to offer that observation. But if you haven't watched The Chosen, watch The Chosen because it shows a Peter. You go, he was a knucklehead. He's arguing with Jesus at one point and Jesus just walks off. And Peter's standing there like. So Peter bails out of the boat and he is going for the shore. Why? Because Jesus was standing on the shore. He didn't care about anybody else. Some of the guys were like, dude, wait, 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 help us. I can imagine. We don't know for sure. But he is headed for sure because he wants to see Jesus. He doesn't care about anybody else. Sometimes too often, we care about everybody else way too much. We need to just bail out of the boat and go for Jesus. So if it was just you and me talking this morning, I say, what boat are you in that you need to bail out and go for Jesus? And we might have a great conversation about that. But he gets to the shore, and here's another one of those quiet miracles we don't think about very often. It says when they got there, Jesus already had a fire going, already had fish, and he had bread. What a cool miracle. They've been out fishing all night long, they're probably hungry, probably tired, and Jesus says, hey, fellas, come have breakfast. Now, what I love about the scripture is often the things that aren't written there, because as best we can tell, Jesus didn't say, hey, Peter, would you pray? They just had breakfast. 
There wasn't a Bible study. There wasn't a devotional thought. There was no deep theological interaction. They just had breakfast. The resurrected Savior wanted to just be with the people he loved. Who is amongst the crowd of people Jesus loved? You and me. Wouldn't it it be cool to just be having breakfast with Jesus? And how freaked out would you be praying with like Jesus? I'm not praying with Jesus because I'll do it wrong. There's not a wrong way to pray. If you're praying with Jesus and you bow your head and close your eyes, I, I kind of imagine Jesus being a little bit playful. And so you do this and Jesus goes, what are you doing? Aren't I supposed to bow my head and close my eyes? Jesus goes, I never said that. There's so many things Jesus didn't say that we think he said because it's tradition. So if Jesus is sitting there having breakfast, I might go, Jesus, this is great fish. And this bread, this is stellar. This is better than Sue Hunt's bread. And that's a tall order, isn't it? (laughs) And you can't do bread instantly, can you, Sue? So Jesus was there getting a meal ready long before they ever showed up. Bread and fish. Jesus and his friends hung out. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Do you know Jesus refers to you and I as his friends? If Jesus had a wallet, your picture would be in it. Now, don't get all analytical on me. That'd be a really big wallet. Well, he's God. So he can have the biggest wallet that anybody could ever have. But he sees his children, his kids, his followers as his friends. Let me backtrack for a moment. John chapter 20 again, verses 30, 31, and then chapter 25, or verse 25 in chapter 21 says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And then in verse tw- or chapter 21, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for all the books that would have been written. Here's what I think this is telling us, is there is so much more. When you and I finish our earthly race, we have not died. We need to change our language. We haven't died. This body maybe died, but we, the part of us that's eternal, our soul doesn't die. So the minute I take my last breath in this kind of damaged carcass, I tell my wife it's like being married to Rice Krispies because I snap, crackle, and I pop when I get up. Some of you can relate to that. The minute I take my last breath, I'm with Jesus. I'm not dead. And so imagine, again, I'm on an imagining trip this morning, that you're sitting at your campfire in heaven. And you might go, I didn't know there were going to be campfires in heaven. This is sanctified imagination. I don't want a mansion. I want a cabin. And it's going to have a campfire. And Peter's maybe wandering down the road and go, Peter, come here, come here, come here. Have a seat. I got the coolest s'mores in all of heaven. I don't know if there will be any competition there. But Peter says, hey, can I tell you a story that you didn't read in the Bible? Because the Bible tells us Jesus did so much more that isn't written down. And maybe when Peter winds down a little bit, we get to tell him some stories. Hey, Peter, I want to tell you about this thing that God did in my life. And Peter's focused and paying attention to us. 
A couple weeks ago, I got the privilege of being in the Rocky Mountains, which I hear God clearer there. And when I say here, it's not like James Earl Jones in the sky, although I'm open to that. But more often than not, it's just this deep sense of God's presence and his word makes more sense to me there, probably because I'm away from distraction. But maybe Peter goes, hey, tell me about that time again when you were in the mountains and Jesus brought this living word alive to you again. We're going to get to share those kinds of stories. We're going to get to know things we don't know. And this carcass isn't going to matter because this is a temporary home for that which is eternal. Isn't that good news? Or do you just want to hang on to this body? Does anybody want to hang on to this body? You might go, no, that one looks pretty rough. I want mine. It really doesn't matter. These are temporary. And when we are resurrected, because we will be, is that good news to anybody? Are y'all awake? All right, three of you, good. Let's review quickly. Many, many times Jesus said he would be betrayed and suffer death. And much like we would have probably been in those moments, they were like, what? And again and again, Jesus said, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to suffer death. I'll be tried. I'll be crucified. And then he said over and over again, death isn't going to hold me down. I'm going to conquer death. Well, prior to all these experiences, they didn't get it. I imagine we would be the same. And then Jesus proved it. It's easy to say something, but he vacated the tomb under his own power. Lots of other people have been raised from the dead. Jesus did this multiple times. Lazarus, come forth. He'd been dead three days, probably smelly. Lazarus, come on out of the tomb. Lazarus had nothing to do with that. Lazarus wasn't waiting in the tomb going, I think I'll come back to life today. Jesus called him back to life, and then Jesus, through his own power and authority, conquered death and left an empty tomb. We don't have to fear death. Whew. Now, that dying thing is annoying. I, I get it. It's annoying. I don't want to die. I just want to, like, be with Jesus. And maybe I'll be Enoch. He walked with God and he was not. Or Elijah, chariots of fire. But there's only a few examples of that. Most of us are going to face physically dying, but the last breath, we're just with Jesus. So nothing to fear there. Not only did Jesus ditch the grave and the grave clothes and the tomb, he came back to hang out with the people that he loved. And over a period, scholars agree, of about seven weeks, six, seven weeks, he just kept showing up and kept hanging out and kept building relationships. And then he promised to send his spirit to live within us. And sometimes in the Christian churches, because we get a little, I don't know, twitchy at this, Holy Spirit. But Jesus said, I am sending my spirit to live in you, and if you want to check out Galatians 5, about verse 22, it's the fruits of the Spirit. It's not the fruits of church attendance. It's not the fruits of try harder. It's the fruits of the Spirit of God in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You want to sing the VBS song with me? We won't actually do that. But the fruits of God in His Spirit in us bring out things we couldn't do on our own. And then Jesus's almost like the last words, go make disciples of all nations, baptize them, 
teach them to obey everything, I will be with you to the very end of the age. What's so powerful about that is those are statements from the mouth of Jesus that we can be utterly and wholly confident in and it has nothing to do with our feelings or our emotions. Feelings and emotions are like the Kansas weather. I say this all the time. They're up and down like a roller coaster. You walk out this morning, it's like, I can't breathe. Does that change anything that Jesus said? When I was in the mountains two weeks ago, I feel closer to Jesus and I got to wear a jacket, which isn't terrible in July, but God's promises are still God's promises, whether it's 50 degrees or 100 degrees. And we are given our marching orders. Go make disciples, baptize, teach to obey everything, not just the fun stuff. So here in a few weeks, most of you are aware of this, Andy Jones is going to be our new lead pastor, senior pastor, Big Kahuna. I don't know what the sign on his door is going to say. Maybe Big Kahuna sounds pretty good, actually. But Andy's role is going to be to lead and shepherd and teach. But this message, Go Make Disciples, doesn't say as long as you're the senior pastor or church staff member. Is This is a mission for every one of us to go and teach and baptize everything that God said. There are going to be people that you get to minister to that us paid professionals will never get to speak to. I hope that kind of stirs you with a little bit of excitement, enthusiasm, probably a little bit of apprehension. <gasps> what if they reject me? They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the gospel. Now, if you have one of these like super intellectual friends, maybe go, hey, let's get cold case Christianity and let's study it together. And then if they're mad at somebody, they can be mad at Jay Warner Wallace. But conversations could be happening where this begins to be lived out and then the resurrection is real in the lives of people that we know and love. So if you haven't made that decision, if you haven't come to the point where you go, that resurrection changes everything for me, I want that, then today is the best day to make that decision. And I know there's lots going on and there's always another time, except there may not always be another time. So these folks standing at the decision points, they are there not to shame anyone, but to just help have conversation. You might go to the decision point and go, I don't even know why I'm here, but I need to talk to somebody about what the resurrection means to me. Maybe you made that decision way back when, and the, the message for today is I need to be discipling somebody. That would be powerful, to be pouring into the life of others. And then lastly, for us to be people that are confident in what the Word of God says in a world that wants to make up its own truth. There is truth revealed in God's Word, and it's unchanging. So I don't know where you're at. The good news is I don't have to know, but the Spirit of God knows. If you need to do business with God today, standing where you are in a decision point, sitting at home in the living room, God wants that for you so that you can be set free. Let's stand and sing.